If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 8. We're going to conclude a series of messages that I've been sharing with you the last couple of Sundays on the case in the temple. sometimes repetition is good for our memory. I know it's good for mine. So for the third Sunday in a row, we're going to read John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Father, would you bless our time? Bless this message. Bless this word. Bless this servant. God, if I do not have faith to believe for your anointing, the anointing that the prophet said lifts off and destroys the yoke of bondage, if I do not have faith for that anointing and believe that that anointing will be present, I just as well to set this microphone down and leave this stage. But God, we've sought you. Prayer partners have sought you for the anointing of heaven. I've sought you. Others have called upon you. God, so let us have the anointing that we need to communicate this word. And, Lord, let us have the anointing that we need to receive, not just to hear the word, but that it would take root in our heart. We praise you. We thank you. We bless you for these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. The case in the temple. Today I'd like to talk about the God and his grace. As I said, we're concluding our series this morning, and I have found this to be, these 11 verses of scripture, I have found to be an amazing narrative in the gospel of John with some life-changing nuggets, revelations for us to grab a hold of. In the first message, we talked about the sinner and their shame, and we specifically zeroed in on the woman caught in the act of adultery. And though there were several things that 
I could allude to, I just want to allude to three things this morning that kind of jumped into my spirit to review today. Number one is, from that message we learned, sin does have a payday. Either here or on the other side of eternity, whatsoever a man sowed, that shall he also reap. And be sure your sins will find you out. We also learned another truth, and that is that in divine providence, maybe God allowed the woman to come face to face with her sin without the other lover present so that there would be no deflection or passing the blame onto someone else. And I shared with you very passionately that morning that deflection is rampant in our day. But I want to tell you again, before you can get deliverance from your sin and your shame, you must lose the deflection and come to grips that it is you personally that is in need of grace and forgiveness. A third lesson that we learn uh, from that and uh, what I thought was just uh, eye-opening revelation, as simplistic as it may sound, sometimes we're condemned by man, sometimes we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. But either way, if it lands you at the feet of Jesus, then it all works out for your good and for His glory. Amen. So when we were talking about the sinner and their shame, and then last Sunday we talked about the religious and their ridicule, and some of the specific things that kind of leaped in my spirit last week, again, as I was preparing for today, is that number one, we all need to be cautious of religion and make sure that we're pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where religion may have some value, religion will also fail you. If you're not careful and you get wrapped up in religion, you will come up short, and religion will be right there to condemn you as the scribes and the Pharisees were to the adulterous woman. So we need to be cautious about religion. Number two, we need to be careful. If we're going to throw stones at the image of Christ, we need to shudder at the very thought of condemning anyone. I mean, I was talking this week and and I made the statement, and I caught myself. I was just talking with my wife. We were somewhere at lunch or something, and I said, you know, uh, these folks need a whole lot of Jesus. And I, I caught myself, and I realized what I was saying. I was beginning, I, I found myself almost being religious. Because the truth of the matter is, we all need a whole lot of Jesus. You don't say, well, this person over here needs a little bit of Jesus while this person over here that has all these habits and, and junk going on in their life, they need a whole lot of Jesus. The truth of the matter is we need all of Jesus, all of us, all that we can get. Amen. Amen. And amen. But be careful of throwing stones at the image of Christ. For you could very well be throwing stones at Jesus himself. And we said at the beginning of that chapter, they were wanting to throw stones at the adulterous woman. But by the end of the chapter, they were wanting to throw stones at Jesus himself. The third lesson we learned from last week is that more people are destroyed by religion's ridicule than they are by doctrine. 
than they are by teaching or preaching of the gospel. More people are destroyed by the condescending glances and looks and body language of those that uh, perceive themselves as spiritually superior. I don't want to be a religious follower. I want to be a follower of Christ that has a personal relationship with Christ because I can be most effective out of an overflow of my personal walk with the Lord in impacting others. Now this morning I want to talk about the God and His grace. For when it is all said and done, it's not about the crowd that packed the temple early that morning or the religious leaders with all their ranting and raving and judgmental dispositions. It's not even about the woman with her immoral choices and questionable lifestyle. It's all about Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And for a few moments this morning, I just want to talk about the stooping and the standing Jesus. You see, first let me talk about the stooping Jesus. The day that Jesus stooped. The Bible says he lowered himself. He humbled himself in the presence of all those people. I want you to know something today and I want to be very deliberate. When Jesus stooped that day, he descended below the scribes and the Pharisees. He descended below his disciples. He descended below the crowds that had gathered in the temple. He even descended below the guilty woman that stood in front of him. Her accusers had to look down to see her and they had to look further down to see Jesus. What I know is that stooping wasn't a new thing for Jesus. In fact, he stooped to wash his disciples' feet. The Bible tells us that he stooped on one occasion to touch a poor leper. And, and, and on several occasions, he stooped down to embrace little children and, and scoop them up into his arms. If you read the account of the stormy sea of Galilee, you will read that Jesus stooped to catch Peter when he was sinking into the waves. And he stooped in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to God the Father, and he stooped to allow the Roman soldiers to beat him with a cat of nine tails. And he stooped to carry his cross to Calvary. And here we see that he stooped down to write in the dirt. I just want to stop here and say to someone in the house today, it doesn't matter how steep you are in your sin, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, will extend his hand of grace and mercy to where you are. He will reach down to pull you out of your miry pit. He will lift you up. He will pull you out of a deep miry clay and set your feet upon a rock and establish your goings. He does save to the uttermost. I like the way Isaiah said it. Isaiah said his hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. I'm telling you his arm is long enough to reach the one that is steeped in sin. But there's even better news than that. And the better news is this. He will even walk into the gutter of your misery. He will go into the mess of your unrighteousness. He will find you. He will stoop down. He will pick you up. He will carry you to grace and forgiveness no matter how steep you are, Jesus Christ will stoop down for you. Oh, somebody ought to say praise the Lord. You see, Jesus confronted her. 
He was the only one qualified to throw stones at her. He was the only one qualified to execute her when she faced Jesus. Brother Bill, she faced the ultimate judge. He was perfectly in his right to execute the law, the law that had been written by his father's own finger. And he did confront her. And thank God he confronts each and every one of us. But he didn't just stop with confrontation. Oh no, then Jesus cleansed her. The only one qualified to throw a stone absolutely refused to do it and instead of giving her judgment he gave her forgiveness praise God he's faithful to forgive praise God he's faithful to cleanse he removed all of her immoral choices he removed the stain of her adulteries I'm telling you he confronted her yes he did but he also cleansed her and he didn't stop there oh no the scripture would teach us that he completed her for after he confronted her and after he cleansed her he looked and said to her go and sin no more all of her life this woman had been subject to Satan and a prisoner of her own lust and her own desires but now the son of God has completed her and challenged her to live free from her sin let me just stop here and say this to someone this morning it's a bunch of nonsense that you that every person sins every day I've never bought into it I've never believed it I believe by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit you can go through a given day without sinning against the Lord when he looked at the woman and said go and sin no more he was saying I'm giving you the power to overcome that that has held you in bondage for all these years I want to stand and testify of the day that he confronted me in my sin. I want to stand and testify of the day that I knelt down brother Doug and he said I'm going to cleanse you with my own blood and I want to stand and testify of the day that when I got up and walked away I wasn't perfect but I was forgiven and I don't have to fall back into the same old trap. I have been delivered I have been set free. He whom the son has set free is free indeed. That's why he could say go and sin no more. (laughs) Confronted and cleansed and completed. She's now free. Think of her years later as she looks at her children and her husband. A family that she never would have had had she not met Jesus. Think of the other families that were spared the pain of her adulteries. <laughs> now, there's something important you need to know. I'm not the greatest Hebrew and Greek theologian. I do study some of it, but I'm not the greatest at it. I'm, I'm a simple kind of guy. But I do know this, that in verse 10, he called her woman. Which in those times and in that day was an expression of honor. I'm getting happy about what I'm getting ready to say. 
only, man, I hope you get this, only two other times in the Gospel of John is this honorable title of woman spoken by Jesus. Two other times. In chapter 2 and in chapter 19. In chapter 2, when, G, when Mary asked him, his own mother, asked him to do something about the shortage of the wine at the, at the marriage in the Cana of Galilee. And he said, woman. He wasn't being disrespectful, quite the contrary. He was acknowledging her with honor. He was just stating a fact that it was not his time yet. That same Jesus over in John chapter 19 is hanging on a cross, Brother Kenny, and his mother is weeping down at the foot of the cross, and he called her woman and turned her over to John, the beloved disciple, for John to look after her the rest of her natural days. That was a term of honor spoken by the lips of our Lord. And now I want you to see this, the same title that he used for own revered mother named Mary. He uses for a woman that is caught in adultery. My God help me. Woman, which would be equivalent to us saying lady in our culture. It was an endearing term. Let me tell you something. She was anything but a lady in our term. She was anything but a woman in that culture. But I want you to get this. Jesus may know you and does know you in your present, but I'm telling you, he looks at you also in your future. He doesn't look at just what you are, but he looks at what you're going to become by his grace and by his mercy. Well, how do you know that to be true? I know it because he looked at Simon Peter who vacillated back and forth and was up and down like the winds in the the ways. He looked at one of the most indecisive disciples, impetuous disciples that he had. He looked at him and said, Simon Peter, from now on I'm going to call you a rock. And upon the profession of your faith, I'm going to build my church. And Simon Peter would go on to be a great evangelist in the New Testament. You go to the Old Testament, you'll find a man by the name of Gideon. He is, he is afraid of the Midianites. And he's threshing wheat, but he's doing it in the wine press. And when the angel shows up to where he's at and where he's hiding, you know what he says? He says, you're a mighty man of valor. I have called you. I have chosen you. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. Yes, Jesus knows how you are today. But I'm telling you, he doesn't just look at you as you are today. He looks at what you're going to be tomorrow when he changes your life from the inside out. called her woman he looked at her in her future and how could he do all that because he stooped down he stooped down to a manger he stooped down to live in poverty he stooped down to eat with sinners he stooped down to be hungry tired and thirsty he stooped down to spend time with despised tax collectors. He stooped down to touch lepers. He stooped to be beaten. He stooped to be spit upon. He stooped to be ridiculed and mocked. He stooped 
to be nailed to a cross. Oh, no, they arrested him. They took him by violence. Let me tell you something. All he had to do was speak the word. Twelve legions of angels would have come and rescued him. He stooped to bear our sins in his own body. He stooped to die. He stooped to be buried. But on that morning, because it started out early in the morning, so it was somewhere in the morning time. On that morning, he didn't just stoop down for the woman, but he also stood up. Hallelujah. He didn't just stoop down, he stood up. He stood up for her so she could become a child of God. He stood up for her in the face of religion and its ridicule. He stood up for her in the face of condemnation. He stood up for her as one in a crowd of hundreds. He stood up for her in the future he would preserve. He stood up for her in the decency or no doubt her nakedness. When he stood up, a woman was set free from her sin and certain death. My God. <laughs> he was her advocate to counter religion's condemnation. And he was her defender in the courts of heaven. My God. He stooped down and he stood up. <laughs> And I just want to stop here and say today that on that third day after he stooped down into a borrowed tomb, he stood up. I said he stood up. He's, I'm going to say it again. He stood up. He said, I am he that was dead, but I am alive forevermore. And can I tell you today, because he stooped and he stood up, I died out to my sins, but I rose in the newness and the power of the resurrected Lord. And because he lives, I live also. Today, he has stooped down and he has stood up for you. The law condemned this woman. The crowd condemned this woman. Religion condemned this woman. No one would defend her. The disciples didn't defend her. Apparently, Jesus hadn't quite rubbed off on them to that level yet. Come on, let's be honest. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Culture shock is sometimes a good thing. Paul Walker tells a story when he pastored in Mount Perrin in Atlanta, Georgia. Some 10,000 people in the congregation. Many years ago, probably been 30 years now, he was preaching. And a woman come in. 
came straight down the center aisle in a two-piece bathing suit. I'm not sure how we could handle that. Jaws dropped, I'm sure. Maybe jaws would drop here. Wives would be scrambling and cover their husband's eyes. <laughs> she comes in. She goes straight to the altar. She kneels down. Our initial reaction, how dare someone come to church dressed like that? Immediately they, people from the church, ladies from the church gathered around her. She was desperate for Jesus. They led her to the Lord that day. Years would go by, and I believe Paul Walker was in New Mexico preaching a camp meeting or a crusade or a something. And after service, this woman walks up to him and she, she says, you probably don't remember me, do you? He goes, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I, you don't look familiar to me. She said, I was, I was that woman that came in, not properly clad for church, but desperately wanting to meet Jesus. Immediately, he came back to his memory. He says, great, great to see you. You're out here now. You're not in Atlanta anymore. She said, no. She said, not long after I got saved, God called me to an orphanage for girls in New Mexico. And I brought a bunch of girls two hours on a drive because I heard you were close by and I wanted to come hear you minister. <laughs> Jesus sees us. He, he knows who we are. You can't hide it from him. But he looks at us through a future lens as well. Jesus stooped down, and then he stood up. Unbeliever, backslider here today. Jesus is the sinner's friend. He hangs out with sinners. He eats with sinners. He walks with sinners. He talks to sinners. And you may say, I don't theologically agree with that. Well, let me tell you, who do you think talked to you and that's why you got saved? Jesus, through his spirit, was talking to you. When they were left alone, it wasn't alone as in the crowd was gone. 
It was alone as in the accusers were gone. Hey, you're not alone today. We're in a room full of people. But when you're solo tomorrow, you still won't be alone. Because he stooped down and stood up for you. March 22nd, 1824, Madison Creek, Indiana. For any historians, you may know this. It was where the Fall Creek Massacre took place. Six white men had murdered nine Native Americans from the Seneca and the Miami tribes. Six men were arrested and sentenced to death by hanging. A young man named John Bridge Jr. He was sentenced to die along with his father and his uncle. A large crowd gathered to witness the execution of these men. A sermon was preached, if you can believe that. I'd imagine it was more like an eye for an eye dissertation. John Bridge Jr. watched his father and his uncle hanged from the gallows. Finally, he was led to the gallows himself. The rope was lowered over his head. But suddenly, in that crowd of people, they heard the noise of a horse approaching. A stranger pulled into the crowd. While he was still on horseback, he looked at that condemned man with a rope around his neck. He looked him in the face, and this is what he said to him. Mr. Bridge, do you know in whose presence you stand? The young man, no doubt trembling, a rope around his neck. He shook his head, no. The stranger continued, and this is what he said. There are but two powers known to the law that can save you from hanging by the neck until you are dead, dead, dead. One is the great God of the universe. The other is J. Brown Ray, the governor of Indiana. And the latter stands before you today. And he handed the hangman a written note and looked at that man and said, You, sir are pardoned. That day, for John Bridge Jr., hopelessness turned into a door of hope. He went home from the gallows. He settled down, opened a dry goods store, and died peacefully 51 years later. (laughs) That's a great story of grace and mercy, but no greater than the golden text of all the Bible, John 3.16. We know it well. Most of us in the room can probably quote it if we've been in Sunday school any length of time. But I've always been puzzled, Brother Fred, that we don't stop, or we stop rather with John 3.16, we don't go to verse 17. But verse 17 to me is just as golden as verse 16. And it says these words, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. Hallelujah. 
I stand before you as someone that had nothing but hopelessness. But one day, I met Jesus, and he said, You, sir, are pardoned from your sin. And I was set free, and today I am free indeed. And it's for everyone. Every head bowed and every eye closed. It's time to turn your life over to Him and let Him give you the eternal life that you so desperately crave. Jesus stooped down and then he stood up. Say, Pastor, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know all of my wrong choices and bad decisions. I'm a teenager here. My parents don't even know what I've done. They don't even know the the mess I've gotten myself into. And I sit in this sanctuary and I'm convicted. If man knew what I have done, I, I might would be condemned. But I could say with certainty that as I sit in this sanctuary, I am convicted. Let me tell you, friend. That is not something to make you miserable that you would abhor. That is a gift from God. Don't ever despise conviction. When your conscience is convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's the beckoning call of Jesus to come. And whatever it is that separates you from God, His grace is sufficient. He doesn't want to be separate from you. He doesn't want to be alienated from you. Man was was distant, an enemy of God. And Jesus came and he stooped down. And he died on a cross and he stood up on the third day so that we that were aliens, alienated from God could be reconciled unto him. You don't know how many times I've sinned. You don't know how hard it is to break this habit. How often I wander to that site on the internet. How often I have these thoughts that are not pleasing to God. I find myself going places and doing things. I find myself slipping in my relationship with God. I don't know who you are. But I know that Jesus is confronting you. I know that he is desiring to cleanse you with his blood. And his word promises to complete you. He told her, go and sin no more. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Simply say, Pastor, my heart is not right with God. 
this moment. If that's you, would you just be honest enough to just slide your hand up and put it right back down? My heart today, this moment, God bless that hand in the back. God bless that hand on the right. Today, this moment, my heart is not right with God. I appreciate those two honest hearts. Is there others? Is there others? He doesn't condemn. All he does is say, come to me. Let me, let me, let me help you. <laughs> I'm confronting you right now, but if you'll come to me, I promise you I'll cleanse you. I, I forgive all sin. I cleanse all unrighteousness. Well, how, do, how does that happen? I, I simply confess it to him. Not, not, not to a preacher, not to a priest. We're way past all that. We have a high priest. He says, if you'll just come to me, come directly to me. I promise to deliver you and set you free. Are you here this morning? You that raised your hands, maybe those that didn't, would you like to come and pray? Would you like to come and, and ask the Lord to kind of wash you and cleanse you, make you whole? This altar is open for you. There is no condemnation in this room. Not one person who's ever been serving the Lord, few years or many, has a right to condemn anyone. Anyone else? Come say, I need prayer. Say, I need prayer. I need God to wash me and cleanse me, make me whole. I need his cleansing. I need his cleansing. I need his cleansing. Holy Spirit's working. Don't quench him. Pray, pray, pray. Not a more beautiful sight than to see young people come. They have struggles you and I can only imagine. We never dreamed in our day. The challenges, the temptation is so intense. The enemy has got a target on her back. God, here I am. God, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. You that are in the audience, stretch your hand this direction. Would you begin to pray in concert for these that are up here? Would you do that right now? Would you let them hear your intercessions for them? Thank <laughs> you. 